How's it going? How was your trip home? Uh, the trip home was good. My flight left at midnight and four hours to Dallas, three hours in Dallas layover, and then uh, another hour and a half back to Wichita. But it was good. Good trip. Good for you. Mine was horrible. You got stuck in traffic? Oh, man. Well, remember, I was trying to boogie out of there. It, was, it should have been about an hour and a half. And my son was having his first scrimmage. I'd say it's a game, but it was a scrimmage. Well, and you, and you it, ran the clock out with us talking. Well, we really did run the clock out, yeah. But either way, uh, unbeknownst, I don't know, you, you know, little things you don't think about, man. But yeah, so pull out a Napa at five o'clock and apparently that's the time everybody, their brother, their dog, their cousin, their bird. I mean, everybody was on the road and... Uh, and and that's not just it because like yeah stupid it's five o'clock oh yeah but every stoplight was broken <laughs> you know, it was like it, would, it, it became comical yeah. it was like comical as you know Fairfield is that next town it should take you no more than 15 minutes maybe 20 even with bad traffic to get to Fairfield it was almost two hours to get to Fairfield yeah me and Toast my buddy uh, Tostado came and hung out we hung out with Joe. So after you left, Toast Toast is like, he lives in a different paradigm than any of us. He's like on the next level of consciousness. He wanders over. He hears music outside. He wanders over from Joe's shop to like some event, starts talking to the guy. Turns out the guy's a winemaker. The guy gives Toast some like super rare wine. And so Toast comes back. He's like, hey, you guys want to crack this open? Me and Joe, right? You guys yeah. want to crack this open? I'm like, well, I don't drink wine, but I got whiskey over here. So we sat there for like another three hours probably and just me, Joe, and Tostado just having a good discussion. And then... Save the world. Pretty much. And then... Uh, it's actually a really good discussion, honestly. It, it was about concrete products and um, possible ventures we could all do together as, as far as concrete goes. But cool. And then uh, Joe, we, I had to get dinner before I took off for the airport and Joe's like, hey, the... the hot ticket in town is this place called Scala. If you can get into Scala, you know, that's the place to go. So we go there. It's packed. It's Friday night. Packed. Seven o'clock Friday night. But we just stood at the bar and made people uncomfortable enough until they finally walked away that we got their seats. <laughs> <laughs> like when we walked in, the lady, I know what it feels like to be a homeless person going into a restaurant now because the way she looked at me, because I was wearing, you know, like dirty jeans and a yeah, dirty t-shirt. Oh my God. Well, I changed the jeans at least. I didn't have my shorts on. Oh. She looked at me like I walked in there with a with a uh, shopping cart with trash bags in it. Like, you know, Toast is like, "Well, is the is the bar open?" She's like, "I will see. There may be an opening." And she comes over and she's like, "I don't know. You need to talk to the bartender." I walked to the bartender. He was cool. He's like, "Yeah, no, some people are gonna be you know closing out here soon, so just hang out." Um, so we just stood there and just stared at him, breathed on her neck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they finished Might have been their the combination of the bo and the, oh god. Uh, all the grime in your that you left in your beard, and just you know, I, I I'm like a, a square peg in a round hole when I'm in Napa, dude. I do not oh, fit in. Not. Everybody else is tech bros, you know. Uh, BG does not fit in with that group. So, anyways, none of us do. But it yeah, works. Well, I mean, tech bros fit into that group, but I'm not a tech bro. So, um, so anyways, but then got dinner. And it was phenomenal. So, if anybody's in Napa, you're still in Napa. You're going to Napa. Go to Scala. Really good food. Really good food. So that was worth it. And then I just barely. I mean, literally, like. Closed out the tab, got in my car, and got to where I, uh, I needed to be right in the nick of time. So it was all just boom, 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 boom. But good time. Awesome. Yeah. So let's talk the about the class. was a good time. <clears throat> yeah. I was going to say, let's talk about the class real quick. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But that class, 
this two and a half day concrete heroes quest. I've done a lot of classes over the last close to 20 years now. I've done a lot of classes and this class ranks up in the top three. It might be the best one ever, but definitely top three best classes for me personally having conducted. It was just such a good class. The people were phenomenal. The pieces we made were phenomenal. The flow was great. There wasn't dead time. We got down each day at five o'clock. It was just, it was like sometimes you just get in a zone and it's just effortless. And this was one of those classes. It was just easy. It was easy on all levels and spending time with all these cool people. Dude, Eric Nagel, long story, Eric Nagel, way back in the day, him and I had like a weird little riff. I don't know what it was. It was stupid, whatever it was. But you know, you, you like, that's just, it kind of like gets stuck in, in your head. You're like, eh, I think this guy's kind of a jerk, right? Whatever. And uh, when he signed up for the class, I was like, hmm, we'll see how this is going to go. Turns out I love Eric Nagel. I well, love Nagel's that guy. Awesome. <laughs> he is yeah. such a cool guy. I think me and Eric Nagel yeah. are going to be lifelong friends now. We've been texting each other ever since. I genuinely like Eric. And, and you know, that's what was good about this is because something can happen a long time ago. You can have like some petty, stupid, whatever happen and let that mm-hmm. like color your, your perception of somebody without really knowing and then once you meet them and you spend time with them, you're like, oh, man, dude, you're rad. Like, you and I, it's like stepbrothers. Like, did we just become best yeah. friends? Yep. So Eric was awesome. We had other people I've never met before. Dale Cecil. This guy was like the mountain from uh, from uh, Game of Thrones when I walked yeah, in. Yeah, big man. Yeah, Probably yeah. the biggest man I've ever met in my life, honestly. I mean, Super. He's, he's just incredibly nice guy. Gigantic. Quiet. Yeah. Derek Fox was uh, another mm-hmm. guy that was in the class. I never met him before. Super awesome yeah. guy. Um, I was, he had me laughing my butt off. Yeah, yeah he was he so, was yeah. great. Just and his everybody. wife too. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Yeah. So uh, Pope Brett Pope, mm-hmm. awesome dude. Loved his mustache. Very friendly. Very friendly mustache. Oh, and love hearing the backstories, man. Yeah. You know what he was doing for a living prior to Pope. And I forgot to mention, you know, uh, Dale's wife spent lots of time with her. She was awesome. Yeah. So, so nice. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, just great class all the way around. I had a phenomenal time and uh, it was it was a great experience for me. And I hope it was a great experience for people that attended. And I hope they they feel that they got their money's worth because the pieces we made were were top level and um, mm-hmm. just a good time. Now, that's the good part of the class. That was, you know, uh, the highlight. There were some interesting things that came from the class. Some interesting... Yeah, inter- interesting is a, a nice word for it. Yeah. Well, I like to be nice, John. I'm a very nice guy. <laughs> no, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, it's not the first time we've had these discussions and, uh, in a class. And it's not even something we bring up because it doesn't matter. But in the sense of we're not like going around asking people like, hey, how does this compare to other workshops you've been to? Because... Honestly, no, these guys, you know what? They wore that stuff right on their sleeves. Yeah. It was well, pretty gonna, amazing. What I was going to say is yeah. it's not for us. We just run our, our race. Like, right. We don't, we have kind of blinders on everybody else. It doesn't matter what they're doing. They can do what they want to do. We do, you know, we do us. The interesting thing was we had some conversations, you know, after hours having uh, cocktails and whatnot. And some things came out that were interesting. I guess this that one wasn't even after hours, man. When we had that morning where we go over philosophies and marketing and, you know, so forth and so on. That's when, how would I say, I almost felt like it was a, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say an AA meeting, but it was, you know what I mean? Like 
you've, I was feeling this uncomfortableness. So it wasn't just after hours is when we were having that and, and boom, you know, uh, and I want to talk about what did me dirty, you know what I mean? Like, okay, man, it's your moment. Let's, let's hear about it. Well, but so, yeah. so let's hit that. We don't want to out anybody. We're not going to out anybody. We're not going to out the persons that had these conversations. We're not going to out the people that they were talking about. The general consensus was some people in this class have been to other training events and have used other products. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they felt that they were greatly misled by the other training they went to and other product manufacturers they purchased from. And it, it actually was, was very bothersome to them. Like they were very bothered. It, it, it like, Oh yeah, it was clear. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it because they were sold a bill of goods by people that don't have experience in what it is they're selling. And so when you and I and Joe have a very honest conversation with them, it takes them by surprise. It's like they got mm -hmm. slapped across the face. They've been told by all these different training and, and product manufacturers that concrete doesn't stain. Put my sealer on it, young man. It won't scratch. Yeah. It won't yellow. It won't, it won't scratch. peel. It lasts It'll forever. last forever. Yeah. 20 years from now, still going to look like this. Mm -hmm. And then they take that narrative that was sold to them, this fake false narrative sold to them by these people, these phonies, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, that don't do this. They take that and they give that to the client because they believe that this person was a good person telling the truth. And so they right. tell their clients, it's not going to scratch, it's not going to yellow, it's not going to peel, it's going to look like this in 20 years. So when you and I and Joe are like, no, 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 it's going to scratch. Yeah, it's going to wear. Yeah. Every sealer is going to have this and every concrete mix is going to have some level of patina over time. That's not going to mm -hmm. stay like that forever, no matter what you seal nope. it with. Then, that's uh, not our philosophy either. Exactly. Yeah, and they're like, well, uh, you know, that's, that's not what I was told. And it's like, well... But it's the truth. And you, we would rather approach everything from a very honest perspective and have an honest dialogue. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's, that's really our message to them was, you know, the problem is you're feeling this way. You're feeling, you're feeling this level of stress because you took the narrative you were given and you gave that narrative to your client. Now you know that narrative isn't true. And yeah, but hold on. Well, hold, hold on, on, John. Let me finish, though. Let me finish. Okay. But that narrative was, was a lie. You didn't know it was a lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you have plausible deniability, you know, but you gave it to the client. Now you're the responsible party and you know that the things you were told aren't true. I did the exact same thing when I mm -hmm. was getting started. I went to World of Concrete. I went down, you know, the aisle of all the sealers, all these uh, callers, you know, like the, at the fair. Hey, young man, you want to see the bearded lady? Blah, 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 blah. You know, they're out there yelling, getting you to come in. You come in, they tell you all this stuff and you buy it. You're like, man, that nice man was so nice. And he gave me the best sealer in the world. And it's never going to scratch and peel. And then you just go along to your client and say it because you believe. Mm -hmm. All the con men, dude, the con men are always the nicest. They're the nicest people. And so you believed it. And I had the exact same experience as, as these people are having in the sense of, once I realized that what I'd been told wasn't true, and once I realized that what I told my clients wasn't true, I had a very high stress level. Now, the good thing is you caught it early, right? You, you caught this early, you can shift gears, and now you can have an honest conversation with your clients and you can say, this is what's going to happen. And it's going to happen. It's inevitable. And that's okay. And if the client expects it, then it's fine. The problem always is when you set the client expectations at this and anything happens, you're the bad guy. You need to come fix your faulty product. But if you set their expectations at a realistic level and those things happen, nobody freaks out. It's not the end of the world. You had this conversation. So anyways, that, I think that was a takeaway. 
Well, yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is, and I'm hearing what you're saying about clients, but I just want to put a little more, you know, why these people, this, especially this one individual was very upset. And I was missing typical of me, like I even do with you, I was interrupting and he was telling his story and what he was describing was how he took the information wholeheartedly. He bought the products uh, with all the belief of what was sold to him. And no matter what sample he made for himself, he was talking about how something even like an, an empty lunch cooler, he would rub across the surface and it was scratching and it was scratching. And he would call and of course, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. But no matter what he did, the surface. So against his better judgment, that's what I'm saying. He, he went on and, and still took the perception of information he was giving and moved into the client's homes. And that's where I remember I was interrupting and I'm like, my first thing was, because I thought he was just talking about general wear and scratching, not something as light as a cooler. Like the first thing, our philosophy, not just concrete design school, but Kodiak and everything is, well, I'm a firm believer that things are going to wear. You might even say are meant to wear. They're just not meant to wear horrifically. I mean, yeah, they're they meant to age gracefully, gently age. Yeah. And, and oxidize and do these really cool things. Um, you know, unless you really take a screwdriver to them or something, but, but it took him getting his story out because I was kind of interrupting him because my, the first thing I was with a person like that is like, slow down. You need to change your philosophy and, and get your philosophy more in the idea of how, you know, leather ages or, or these wonderful, wonderful natural materials. But that's what he was talking about, that it was actually the materials. And, and along that lines, as again, we were having this kind of heart to heart, there was a, again, a very successful business who came right out to it. And he was just like, Hey, you know, and why are you here? You know, we obviously have a successful business. And he's like, well, because I'm tired of essentially selling a urethane. Yeah. He puts, like, what? he puts six coats of automotive clear six coat. Six coats of, yeah. Automotive and you have to clear sand coat. between coat and then reapply right. and sand and, and reapply and sand and reapply six right. times. Yeah. And, and then he said, right. I'm, I'm essentially creating plastic. I mean, I'm, I'm creating, yeah, I'm selling, I'm not selling concrete countertops. Yeah. And he's like, and that's, that's been a thorn in his side emotionally and morally and yeah, character. And, um, and he knows why he's doing it. And so he's, he just, he doesn't want to live like that anymore. He wants to, you know, find a, a, a more sustainable path to what he was doing. And that's what brought up these discussions, but it was real, it's terrible to say this, but it was a real eye opener once again to see that, which again, I'm glad guys are, are coming here. I'm glad they're coming here. I'm a little bummed out sometimes that they get the other, they have to go through these other failures, but maybe, maybe that's what all of us have to do, right? Well, all roads know. eventually lead to concrete design school and Kodiak Pro. Yeah. And we're eventually. true. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and the hard thing is, as he's sitting there and then he's hearing from Successful people following this path for a very successful line, make very good money at what we're doing, being able to put prices on my projects that go to clientele that, you know, that, and to hear the truth and the truth initially comes across as deceit. How wild is that? Well, I don't know if the truth because comes across as deceit, deceit, but the truth, so long. the truth comes 
across as harsh and hurtful. It hurts. Yeah, there you go. It yeah, hurts yeah, maybe the narrative that you've built in your mind. And when somebody says otherwise, you're like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like literally getting slapped in the face. Like, what are you talking right. about? You know, everybody's yeah. told me, the other training told me, the product manufacturers told me that concrete never ages, never scratches, and never yellows, yeah. and never does any of these Can't things. Nope. Yeah. And Stain so, resistant. Yeah. So to hear I a couple mean, of guys it, over here who have actually been doing it for 20 years say, mm, that's not true. And yeah, here's no. the truth. It seems abrupt and mm-hmm. um, unpleasant. Well, I just, just to cap that, that is not our philosophy. As I said, I'll just say it again. Anybody listening to this, listening to a podcast, come to a design school workshop, hang out with, you know, John, Brandon, Joe, Dusty, uh, just after 20 years of doing this, our philosophy is to create an incredibly durable product, starting from the concrete of incredibly resistant mix, which in this case just happens to be incredibly dense. And, and let's say by industry standards, considered water repellent, anyway, yada, 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 yada. You couple that with a long-term durable sealing technology that chemically reacts and transitions the concrete into a glass-like substrate. And now you have a product that will last ultimately in a home for years and years and gears with minimal maintenance easy to repair if necessary. And even if the surface finish is worn, because it does have, I mean, again, everything wears, we're not talking about a catastrophic repair and regeneration. I mean, that's, that's our philosophy and it works. It works. So two things come to mind. One was, which played back into having an honest conversation about what concrete is. I think other people that are teaching or selling to this industry think, well, we know this is what they think, think that concrete should be covered in plastic. And they think that it should never age, ever. And what they're missing is things that age are luxurious. And when I say that, I'm sitting in my studio right now, and I put down a quote-unquote luxury laminate plank floor. Mm -hmm. So luxurious. But it's not. I mean, it's nice, and it's going to be durable for doing classes and whatnot. We're tracking concrete up in here, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. But true luxury would be a hand-scraped wood floor. Wood. Removed from a factory that was 200 years old in Chicago with old-growth timber that you can't get anymore. And it has the nicks and the scars of time, and it tells a story. That is luxury. Luxury is, I have a, a leather uh, satchel. I call it a satchel. Uh, this leather bag from, um, uh, what's the name of this company? Saddleback Leather. And it's, you know, I've had it for a few months now, and it's wearing and aging. And where it rubs against me, it's darker. And the scratches on the front from where it rubs against whatever. That's luxury. What's not luxury is a vinyl bag. Had the same bag been made out of plastic vinyl. Oh, well, it's never going to develop any patina. That's not, that's not luxury. Luxury is copper gutters on your house that turn green. Yeah, right? That, yeah. And they're expensive. And people who can afford that, that's what they're looking for. Exactly. Luxury is the siding on the house, the cedar that turns gray over time. That's luxury. Not vinyl, not vinyl siding. 
That's not luxury. No. What's luxury mm -hmm. is the cedar lapsiding that turns gray and silver over time with the copper that turned green and the leather Eames chair that wore beautifully and the hand-scraped wood floor that shows the, the passage of time. That is luxury. Plastic is not. But that is lost on a lot of people. And again, I was one of those people. I got into concrete because I loved concrete. And then at some point, and here's the cycle we all go through, I think concrete needs to be perfect. I think concrete needs to never change. It needs to never age. Mm -hmm. and needs to never patina. That's the only narrative I developed in my mind. Maybe it's developed, or maybe it's influenced by what was being sold to me by these retailers back then. Maybe that's what changed my perception. But I believe that's what it was. And then the clients come to me and they're like, hey, we want concrete. And I sell them on this false bill of goods of like, this is what it's going to be. But once I put that expectation in their mind, now I'm setting everything up for a recipe for disaster. Everybody's going to be unhappy. Right. They're going to be unhappy. I'm going to be unhappy. Everybody's going to be unhappy. Had we just said, are you the right person for concrete? And this is on my website, by the way. You can go to hard-goods.com, scroll down to the bottom. Are you right for concrete? It's something I, it's a conversation I have with every single client. You find out if they're a good fit. And the ones that are a good fit are the ones where, do you love an old leather chair? Do you love a real wood floor? Do you love copper gutters? Are you that person? No, then you're not a good fit. And I'd be doing a disservice by taking on your project. And what I tell people in the classes is the most profitable project you'll ever take is the one that you don't take with a problem exactly. client. Exactly. Yeah. That's the most profitable project you ever take. So that's number one, John. Well, hold on. I, I want to finish that. Okay. If you don't mind. Go ahead. <clears throat> well, it, this is funny how things come into play. So right before the workshop, there was, again, you know how those, some little memes that come out and what it was is obviously a younger person was asking a general question. What was supposed to be funny was like, do 70 year olds find 70 year olds attractive, right? Like, are you attracted to a 70 year old? And of course there were some funny ones, but the one that hit me where my life has been for a long time was a person came in and said, it's, it's not necessarily what you're attracted to at that point is the story, you know, who this person is. And, the, you know, you see past the 70 years, you know, the wrinkles around the eyes or, or whatever the case may be, because what now what you fall in love with is everything that comes with it you know, where it's been in this case, what we're telling you, know, how it's aged and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, paraphrasing, of course. But when I read that, I was like, uh, yeah, you know what? Um, and, and my simple example of my life, you know, I've known my wife since we were 16 years old. Now here we are, you know, almost not quite 40 years later that we've been together and have we changed? Yes. Do I love her even more now than what she was at 16? Yes. The story, you know, the more to this, the that it's, and that to me transcends so much of what we're talking about. You know, I didn't, I don't want her hermetically sealed. Like she, you know, I mean, everything that goes with it is what makes me love it. So yeah, you don't want to be dating that that's lost. a woman that's all plastic, fake lips, fake boobs, you know. Right, no, it, that's not, they, yeah, I'm just not interested yeah, in that. never looks good, never looks good. So uh, so that's that's that. The um, the next thing I wanted to hit, which was interesting, it was came to light from the class. So here's what happened. 
And it's going to be a little bit of a long story, John, so do your best not to Go ahead. Okay. Let me put mute so I don't jump in. Please. Please. Okay, (laughs) so here's what happened. Is we all have, the trainers in this class, all have things that are important to us and aren't important to us. And for an example, I'll just give you a quick example. When we're sealing and you're still on the top and the sealer runs down the edge, it drives me crazy because I always know that I'm going to be able to see it. Now, you're not going to be able to see it dramatically, but in raking light, I can see where it trips. And so every time John is sealing and he lets it run down the edge, I'm like, John, are you going to get that? He's like, eh, no, it's not going to show up. And I'm like, John, it's going to show up. It's going to, no, don't worry about it. I'm like, but it only takes you three seconds to wipe it, John, please wipe it. No, it's going to be okay. And it's never okay. And it always drives me bananas. I'm always like, John, why is this not important to you? But it's not. And that's okay because for John, it's not important to him. Okay, whatever. Not a big deal. Now, Joe Bates, we're casting upright. And this is a very Joe Bates-specific process. Joe does this upright reverse cast GFRC. And this is, you know, I wouldn't say unique to Joe. There's some other people, Michael Carmody, some other people that do it. But Joe is one of the few people that uh, this is kind of one of his signature um, aesthetics that he does. And for Joe, because it's a process of, of building up the concrete up to the final surface, there's, there's uh, a waiting period of pouring different layers. He ends up with what some would call a lift line or a cold joint or whatever you want to call it. But it's just a line between the two, two different batches. Now, there's ways to completely eliminate it if you wanted to. It's not hard right. to do. You can eliminate it. But for Joe, he doesn't care. And he, he says verbally, no, I don't mind it. It doesn't bother me. So he, he knows how to f- essentially not fix it, but he knows how to get ahead of it and keep it from happening. But for him, he doesn't care he likes it well he also showed other projects in the shop where they specifically done things so that it did not happen or you know was not part of it yes why are you not on mute right now i thought you're on mute sorry (laughs) your mute button sucks well i was actually i was oh you couldn't you can help all right (laughs) so joe has certain things that don't bother him and that's okay that's okay for joe that's his look you know just quickly segue to Michael Carmody. Michael Carmody, when he silicones his forms, he doesn't use uh, a special tool to create a perfect, perfect roundover. He uses his finger and he tools it with his finger and it's a very good joint. I've seen it in person. It's a very good roundover, but it's not quite perfect. And when he demolds a piece, that edge is not quite perfect. And for Carmody, that's part of the narrative. It's the maker. It's the hand of the maker in the piece. You can see these very slight imperfections, but that shows the hand of the maker, and that's part of the story. Michael Carmody could make it perfect. He could make it absolutely, uh, you know, uh, 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 precise roundover, but that's not what he wants. He wants the hand of the maker. And for Joe Bates, I feel, if I were in his head, that's what he likes about that slight lift line, is it's the hand of the maker in a piece. He likes to leave a little bit of imperfection in the final piece. He doesn't want it to be absolutely perfect. Okay, great. Now, here we are. Here's the class. The class is, is uh, you know, seeing all this stuff for the first time. And there are some people that are fairly new to the class but have been in some other training. And they see that little lift line and they're asking about, what, 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 you know, what, what is this? What, is, what would you do about this? How do you do this? And Joe says, well, you know, this is an artifact of the process. And they immediately had a visceral reaction oh God, to, yes. That, yes. to that phrase. And here was what they, here is why. When we had a conversation, we got to the bottom of it. They went to another class. And apparently the people that teach the class listen to our podcast because they've co-opted our language and our terminology. So they went Mm -hmm. to this other class and the other class, the work that was made by the class was very bad. Craftsmanship, not, not, 
not uh, imperfections of the material, but in, imperfections of the manufacturing of the piece. So there was bad craftsmanship all, the, all across the board. And when the, these attendees asked about it, what they were told was, it's an artifact of the process. And essentially what had happened is this other training venue had co-opted this term and to try to explain away their lack of experience and know-how and skill. And poor craftsmanship. Yep. Yeah. They, they tried to label the poor craftsmanship as an artifact of the process. So that's what they were sold and they weren't happy with it then. They're not happy mm-hmm. with it now. They hear us say artifact of the process and they're like, oh, I've heard this before. This is just how you explain away. And I'm, I'm like, whoa, bro. What? No, 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 no. Let's, no, no, let's. No discuss this john you're off mute again what the hell is going on here sorry man jesus i'm just i'm ready i'm, you're I'm my hype man. Like you're in the background ready like ah. you're, you're in the you're in the background <laughs> <laughs> hyping me up yeah dog so okay get him, get him. <laughs> so uh i gotta get my train of thought back here so artifact of the process here is what it means for people that actually do this for a living, for professional concrete artisans, here's what it means. It means that you make the mold the best that you can at the highest possible level. It means that you mix up the best possible concrete for you. Maybe it's Kodiak Pro, maybe it's something else. doesn't matter. Whatever in your perspective is the best concrete you can possibly make, that is what you mix. You cast it precisely. You cure it precisely. You demold it. You finish it. You seal it at the highest level possible, and then you let it be what it is. And any imperfection in the material, be it maybe some modeling over here, maybe a little air pocket on this edge over here, whatever that is, you embrace that as an artifact of the process. What you do not do is do shoddy work, poor craftsmanship, and then say, well, it's an artifact of the process. That is not what that means. So I just want to make that clear of what does artifact of the process mean? That's what it means. You can unmute now. Can I say something now? Please. <laughs> so over here. Ah. Uh, you hit it square, square on the on the chin. And again, it was one of those moments when that came out, almost like eye rolls, that up to that moment, these individuals haven't gone other places, had clearly in their mind, you know, come to the conclusion that they're hobbyists. You know, it was more than apparent what was going on and this and that. And then they use that language to discount or, or like you said, glean over the horrible craftsmanship. Then they come here with all that baggage and start hearing the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, boy, it, it was pretty, it was Pretty actually really cool to see that almost instant like what, um, but yeah. as you just said, I, same with me. I just want to make it clear that artifact of the process is maybe you know the natural things because at some point like we don't ultimately control the concrete. Mother Nature does, right? I mean, and there are I refer to them sometimes as happy accidents, um, but that phrase should not and is not for us anyway ever should be used as a way to somehow brush off poor craftsmanship i mean if if you legitimately you know pushed a back coat through a face coat and this and that that's not an artifact of the process that is a recast that is a i mean you know um 
you screwed up and you know, you do it right. I mean, that's what a client's looking for, but uh, areas that cured a little differently or this or that and create, like you said, create a modeling or, you know, say the, these brilliant things that can, that's artifact of the process. So something that was interesting that I thought I was listening to the radio the other day and um, they're having a conversation that we've had in our workshops many, many times, but I think it's very relevant to this industry is that constraints in whatever maximize and actually create creativity. Hmm. For example, let me give you a little, little story, John, a little story time for John here. Story time. Story time. All right. Got your warm milk ready, John? You got a blanket? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I do. Just making sure. And a cookie. And a cookie. You got that milk in a sippy cup, buddy? I do. Don't you spill it? Okay. Again, dunking it. I'm already dunking it. Dunking. Okay. So in 2015, I was a judge on a TV show called Framework. And Framework was a furniture design competition. And it was a very interesting experience for me. But one of the most interesting aspects of it, and something that I saw happen in real time, was that when there are no constraints, creativity completely flatlines. So for example, we'd have challenges and in some of those challenges, there was no um, constraints for anything. You could use any material, you could make anything you wanted. You can make a table, a chair or whatever. Um, you can make any size, you can make uh, any finish. And essentially the, the producers of the show would pretty much have a blank check. Like, Hey, I want a block of acrylic, the size of a truck. And they would get it for you. Whatever you wanted, they would make happen. Right? So the way each challenge worked was they were given a a brief, like, here's what you guys need to do. And then they were given a certain amount of time to design and then a certain amount of time to fabricate. And then they were judged. And what I would see is when there was no constraints, the design time, they, they couldn't do anything. They were just running around. You could see them. I mean, we'd sit in the control room and watch the cameras, and they were just completely at a loss. There was no mm-hmm. starting point. And because there's no starting point, there's no ending point, and they, it would just be a hot mess, right? In other episodes, they had constraints. And the tighter the constraints, the more creative they were and the better the end result was. So, for instance, there was one that just comes to mind where it was all recycled materials. And so each one got to choose a different material. So one was tennis balls, one was wire, you know, and there's these different materials, bungee cords was one, but it gave them a starting point and it gave them a framework to work within to create something great. And those were the best ones we saw by far the best. And they didn't waste time. There wasn't, you know, the limitless possibilities. There was this and they had to do something with it. And so I personally, in my own shop, in my own designs, do that. I intentionally create constraints. I could tell you about all those different constraints, but suffice to say, everybody can do this themselves, but you can decide to work within certain parameters. And those parameters help you get, get to the point and get to getting. What I would say to anybody listening, constraints are going to increase your ability to create beautiful pieces. So you can do self-constraint. You can say, I just want to focus on planters. I'm not going to make tables. I'm not going to make chairs. I'm not going to make sinks. I'm not going to make cladding. I'm not going to make any of those things. My constraint is planters. And every day you go and get a coffee at a coffee shop and you take a sketchbook and you draw a new planter design and you do that for a year. Okay. That's your constraint. And I promise if you do that exercise and you hold fast to it, you will come up with designs 
that will change your business. That will take you in a whole new direction. Constraints could be color. You could say, I'm just going to do black concrete. I'm not going to do any other color. All my designs are going to be black. Constraints could be uh, texture. You could say, I'm only going to do hand trialed surfaces, whatever that is. So there's different ways you can constrain your work, but I would highly encourage you to find constraints that fit within what you're wanting to do and work within those parameters and watch how it increases your creativity. Any thoughts, John? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, and it's because uh, as you were just talking about that, see, I, I was focusing on like constraints of material or size of the material or whatever, but I get what you're saying, you know, focus on something, get really good at it. I think I just posted one like that, right? Get really good at it and develop a passion um, is essentially what you're saying. And then develop that into your business. Yeah. For, for instance, I'm working right now on a furniture line. I've been working on it for years and I can't wait till I can actually finally get back to it and finish it because it's really what I think about in my off time. But the constraints are the materials and the constraints are also the design of the materials are all in the same vein. And that really limits what I can do. And it's hard to explain until, you know, someday when I release this product line, you'll see it and you'll see how everything, the DNA ties everything together. But that's what ties it together. And it's those constraints that allow me to design the pieces efficiently and to maximize creativity. So anyways, that there's that. I, I, I was listening. It was, oh, cool, um, it was uh, Hidden Brain was the name of the program on NPR. It's a very good program. And they were talking about how constraints push creativity, whether it's music or painting. They're talking about a painter that only used black for his paint color and shades of black, but he didn't use any other color and how that really allowed him. He didn't have to worry about color anymore. He could just focus on subject, right? And he became a very famous painter, but they were talking about how, how constraints are really what drives creativity, not the opposite. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I could say that from a chemistry standpoint, no question. Like from, you know, let's say again, I'm just going to talk about me with sealers for a moment. So I have two co-solvents that undeniably you know, achieve what I'm looking for in, you know, for penetration and density and cross-linking and so forth and so on. And so call that a constraint. Cause I'm gonna tell you right now, there's literally thousands of co-solvents out there and you know, you're, you, you can get, you could get lost in the noise, you know, with all these different ones and the, the rates that they change and et cetera, et cetera. So just focusing on and knowing where I'm only going to use those two limits or constrains how many other raw materials can work with those other raw materials. And it, it really opens up my creativity on, on what I can do. So, I mean, that would be a simple example. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had another interesting thing happen. Uh, you know, we're going to continue the uh, spilling the tea mm -hmm. type thing we're doing a little bit. But it's interesting. <laughs> it was, it was funny. Well, it's funny. All right. Because I, I learned more about it after the fact, and it made it even more funny. For anybody that doesn't know, I made a sink called the Erosion Sink, which is like this layered topographic sink. And I did it way back in 2005. as published in Dwell Magazine. I am the first person that made it. That's undeniable. It's unequivocal. Anybody that says otherwise is a liar. End of story. Now, what was it? I, I don't think I've heard about this. Thing. I know. Well, and I, I believe that you haven't. That's okay. <laughs> so anyways, there's a lot of knockoffs of it. Whatever, whatever. You know, part of me sometimes wants to, wants to chase people down. And then part of me just says, whatever. 
like, I don't care enough to do that. But I was um, on Instagram and, you know, it's like the, uh, there's things that pop up in your feed that people don't follow, but because of the hashtag, it shows up. And there was this like really bad erosion sink from some chick doing it out of epoxy, right? And she calls it the erosion sink and they're really hokey and they're horrible and whatever. And I, I don't think that there's any chance of a customer seeing that and thinking, you know, contacting her to have that sink made when they're looking for me because it's so bad. The problem I have with it is she's calling it the erosion sink. That's the problem for me, right? So I reached out to her and I was very nice. And I just said, listen, I, I appreciate that you like my design enough to recreate it. Thank you, you know, uh, but if you would, please name it something besides the erosion sink because that design is unique to us. And, you know, I appreciate you understanding. And she wrote me this long message back since she's saying, and she's in Arizona, by the way, which is hilarious. She wrote me back this long message saying like, first of all, I've never heard of you. I've never seen your sink. I looked and there's tons of people making these sinks. And she sent me screenshots and all of our people that ripped me off. Right. <laughs> and she's like, so, um, I don't care who did it first. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to use the name, blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. so I respond back and just say, okay, I believe you that you've never heard of me or seen the design. I assure you as a first person to do it. That's a fact. The people you sent me are all ripping me off. Okay. You know, ignorance is no longer an excuse. You've been made aware and what you do from here speaks to your integrity. That's what I said to her. And she didn't respond. Okay, whatever. So I tell my wife about it. And um, she's like, funny enough. She's like, I didn't think she's seen that lady pop up before. She's mm-hmm. like, I didn't think you'd reach out to her because they're so bad. I'm like, no, it's not that it's bad. It's that she's calling with the erosion thing. She's like, well, funny story. I guess Aaron has seen this lady before. And, and what was funny is the lady has gotten into like some, some very similar things to where she was getting mad at people ripping her off and like publicly posting about it, about these people ripping her off. And I'm like, the irony that she is upset that people are ripping off designs that she ripped off, but she's upset. But when somebody contacts her and says, hey, and I was very nice about it, by the way. I wasn't attacking her. Just saying, hey, I, I appreciate you like it. Just please name it something else. She wants to get defensive about it. And, you know, essentially say, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the best way I can describe it for anybody listening, and we've talked about this, it, you know, theft is one of these things. Theft of IP, theft of designs, it's one of these things that people don't understand how it can be upsetting until it happens to them. And then once right. it happens to them, you know, funny enough, on, on, on a Facebook page, there's somebody that for years has pretty much been, you know, uh, very vocal whenever I whenever I've called somebody out, he, he's been very vocal that there's no such thing as originality. There's no original design, whatever. And then just recently posted screenshots of people ripping him off and how upset he yeah. is about it. And I'm like the irony right here, the irony. It's just funny, but here's the best way to describe it is like, let's say, uh, let's say Lamborghini. Okay. Let's say that some dummy someplace takes a jalopy and paints it orange and puts a spoiler on the back and marks it as Lamborghini. Okay. Now, there's no Lamborghini buyer out there that's going to go buy that jalopy and feel like they actually got a legitimate Lamborghini. But Lamborghini as a company is going to have a problem with somebody diluting the market with this trash and calling it the same thing. That's the problem. And that's the problem I have with things like that is when somebody, you can rip me off, whatever, but at least have the decency to call it the river sink, the pond sink, the ocean sink, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Yeah, but, you know, at least keep your thievery to a minimum. Like, yeah. don't co-opt all of it. So anyways, that happened today. 
And uh, well, hang on. So that that reminds me of a situation just okay. a minute ago. Um, I don't know if you know about this one, but I, and again, I'm not going to talk about the players. But as an example, there was a company that was I don't know. Let's call them training videos or some very nice videos, marketing videos for their training events. And they came up with some pretty cool ideas, or they certainly felt cool to some other companies enough that those companies wanted to reach out to, so let's say videographers and to, let's say copy, you know, copy and steal those ideas. And at the same time, linked in the exact videos that they wanted to copy and steal. Inadvertently, as it turns out, uh, the videographers mistakenly sent back the responses to the actual person that were that was being stolen from. <laughs> and what yeah. I found interesting <laughs> in that isn't isn't the, just that the other company was trying to steal these ideas and hire someone else to steal it for them and et cetera, et cetera. Because okay, whatever. I you know I've heard that before. Oh, flattery. You know that you're being copied and this and that. There's two things that I find ironic about that situation because I actually know the person that was actually and the company actually that was inadvertently uh, contacted. Number one, that person, that company had several times reached out to over the years to the other company to either work together, you know, co-op on on different things and all this kind of stuff. And throughout those years, it was almost hysterical. <laughs> being turned down, almost like, you know, slapped in the face kind of stuff. It was, it's pretty comical. I think it's comical anyway, but I would never tell the person that, that, uh, got turned down. Uh, and the other thing, the other hysterical thing to me was instead of just taking the opportunity, like the gal you're talking about, instead of just taking that opportunity and saying, you know what, I get it. My bad. Let me change the name you know, we're moving forward. What I find often just in what I'm talking about is then one of the person, one of the people directly affiliated with us, instead of coming back and just taking an opportunity to maybe apologize and move forward, instead doubles down, puts their heels in the sand and almost like, well, I can afford better uh, video than that. So it's not that they're they're not even embarrassed about the stealing. Yeah. They're not they're not even willing to be like, "Hey man, yeah, you know, or or even an exa- like, you know what? I get what you're saying, but we were just trying to use it as an example. I, I can certainly understand how or you saying, might see that stealing. I really like what you guys do. You know, we want to do right. cool things we like really you guys like do. Right. We really like what you guys do. Yeah. yeah, I mean anything like that, but instead, it just shows the integrity or, or, or whatever, moral standard, whatever someone wants to say, is then to defend it by not defending it and instead getting defensive about it and turning it on you. It, it reminds me, and I know this is a terrible analogy, but stop me anytime, as the abusive husband that abuses the wife and then blames the wife for being abused. You know what I'm saying? So it never came out and like... Are you saying, I'm the, are, are you saying I'm the, the wife of two black eyes? Is that what you're saying, John? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, what I'm saying you burned is, the casserole again get over here <laughs> I mean it's it's just so wild that yeah 
and, and that's a whole nother side that I don't understand with people that can't put their shopping cart away. It's like, it's just like, Hey man, listen, this is, that would a per- perfect opportunity to say, you know what? That was some bad decisions made, poor choices. You're right. It was, but again, just, and then get, take a moment to actually, you know, throw a couple nice remarks your way. And, uh, maybe in the future we could do a better job of reaching out to you because we really love what you do. I don't know. Yeah. But instead to turn these things into even further of a negative, which has everything to do with ego. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's really, really wild to me that that's the path some people take. Well, Yes, John. And we could we could go down that road for a long time. I'm not going to no, psychoanalyze the- people that uh, do that. I just think, honestly, at the end of the day, people lack creativity. They want to stay in business, and they do that by yeah. taking from other people they see being successful in whatever it is. And sure. that's the nature of the business. And then once they get called out on it, it hurts their perspective of themselves and the reality they've created. And, and mm-hmm. instead of just coming clean and admitting it and moving forward – yeah, they dig their heels in the sand and they try to portray you as the bad guy because in their mind, that's what they have to do to feel justified in their actions. Okay, whatever. Yeah, it's, and it's too I was, bad. It's I said I wasn't going to psychoanalyze and I just psychoanalyzed. It's okay. Yeah. But, you know, but Aaron, had a, <clears throat> Aaron had an interesting uh, perspective on it. Not even perspective, but I guess there's something going on right now. There's a few different companies that this is happening with. But remember the smiley face from the 1960s, 70s on t-shirts, how that company trademarked the smiley face? And they're called the Smiley Face Company. Well, essentially what, what they're doing right now, and other companies are doing similar things, is they're going on Etsy and they're finding anybody that has a smiley face in anything, whether it's um, a patch, a t-shirt, a keychain, a mug, whatever it is. They're finding them and they're sending them A, cease and desist, and B, they're subpoenaing, subpoena, subpoena? They're, I don't know, they're going to subpoena. Their sales records through Etsy to see how much they profited on that item. And they're mm. taking them to court to, to recoup all that money that was made on that item. And they're not the only company doing it. There's other companies doing it as well that are taking that business model. Now, you know, I have not done any of those things ever. I've never gone after people like that. I've had a private conversation. I've asked people nicely. You want to think that people, if you're respectful to them, they'll be respectful to you. If you're, if you're, um, you know, level-headed, they'll be level-headed, but I actually found that not to be true. Nobody's ever once apologized and just stopped what they're doing. Every single person has had a very uh, defensive attitude towards it, but but you always think, oh, this time's going to be different, you know. This right. time, yeah. you know, Lucy holding the football, or, or Charlie Brown the football, you know what I mean? <laughs> or Lucy's holding it, and he, she pulls it. Yeah, every single time I'm like, ah, oh, this time I'm going to reach out and be nice, and this nice person will understand and stop, but they don't, they don't. But anyways, my point is, I could go after people. I could go after them. You know, we've talked about having Andrew, our business partner on, that's a, a lawyer and, um, and, and having conversations about copyright and trademark and mm-hmm. legality. And him and I've talked about it. And essentially, you know, my erosion sink was published in 2005 and 12. That's verifiable. Nobody can verify that they made one before that because they didn't. And so it's very easy for us to go to court and show to court, like we were the, uh, I was the originator and designer of this. And I was the originator of the term erosion sink and we could pursue people. And then we could pursue, I guess at this point, financially, any sales they've made of that item and then get, uh, reimbursed, um, for those, those sales. Would I do that? No, 
No, unless some big company like really ripped me off hard and, and did something, then I would. But, you know, these little makers, I'm not going to go after them. That's, that's not my point. My point is just have respect. Just have respect. If you want, if you like a design and you want to recreate it because, you know, you, you don't have the creativity to do other things, I get that. I can see how that can happen. But don't sure. name it the same thing. At least have the decency to name it something else. You know, don't, don't name your jalopy Lamborghini Lamborghini, you know? That's my point. No, Jalapagini. Jalapagini. There you go. Trademark you go. that, you know. Jalapagini. So anyways, that's that's my point with that. Hey, last thing I want to hit, and it's something that you and I were discussing, was um, these carbon fiber batteries using the concrete that's poured into the footings and slabs of homes, how they're, how they're developing technology to essentially sequester energy in the concrete itself instead of having these external right. lithium-ion batteries. You want to hit that really quick? Well, I just think it's... it's there's a couple of things I want to hit, but that's number one. I think it's really cool. I mean, these are conversations a lot of us, not just at workshops, as an individual, trying to find our happy place moving forward with at least, you know, the politics of electric vehicles, lithium ion batteries, solar, et cetera, et cetera. And it, to me, I, I just love the fact that there's companies out there moving forward with the idea that we can turn our concrete into storage batteries. And it's basically using carbon pigment and um, carbon fiber, uh, carbon. And when I say carbon fiber, I don't mean just mesh. But anyway, and then, you know, two ends, anode, cathode. And it's pretty amazing. They don't have, again, comparatively speaking, and I was reading this article. If anybody's ever looked at a Tesla Powerwall, I'm going to say, just think of it kind of like the size of a, small filing cabinet, right? I mean, it is super cool. And even though we can, anybody can have that whole conversation. Well, yeah, but you know, look how horrible it is. You just destroy the environment trying to get the lithium and where it's coming from. People getting paid 25 cents a day. I mean, it's, it's really atrocious when you think of it that point of view, but it concretes everywhere. And if by putting some carbon in, so is a 19 kilowatt battery for lithium might be the size of a small filing cabinet, but to do it in your concrete, you know, you might need 50 yards of concrete, but once you add up the footings or a slab, you know, garage slab, patio, whatever it might be, you'd, you, you're going to end up building that home anyway. Concrete's used in all this stuff and it really could be an environmental changer to a have your backup source essentially that you're living with and living on and two, cut down on all the environmental impact of consuming the raw materials it takes to make battery storage. So no, I think it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I hope it comes to fruition long before they walk away from it. I agree. And the fact is, you know, the recycling of these things has been very problematic with the batteries yes. and, um, right. And the benefit no, here you could recycle it and use it again as an aggregate, and it still would have its ability because all the carbon's still in the whatever the crushed concrete. Yeah, but you wouldn't even need to recycle it in the sense of it's part of the slab, it's part of the footing. It is the footing, it is the slab. So it can stay there forever. Even if it gets to the point where it's no longer viable as energy storage, at least you're not yes. like trying to, what, what are we going to do with it now? You know, well, you don't do yeah, anything with it. It's holding up the house. Yeah. So I think, exactly. I think it's a genius idea and I'm super excited about it. The last thing, John, before we wrap this up is yeah. you and I are going to do at some point here 
in the next few months, a concrete roadshow per se. And mm-hmm. our plan is to travel around the U.S. Maybe the first one is a very specific region, and we might do this every every quarter or so, hit a different region. But we're going to travel around the U.S. and go to shops and do demonstrations and shake hands and meet people and um, and just have a good time. But get the products in people's hands because a lot of people want to use it. They want to see the difference. Um, they're just too busy to uh, to order it and do the testing. So, you know, me and John can come by. We can show you how to use it properly, and we can – um, answer your questions and and get you dialed in. So where I'm going with this yes, is we'll it, start a post on Kodiak site. And exactly. People sign up. You know, put your put your shop on there. Yeah. Right? If you're you know, interested. Have, if you're interested, absolutely. And then we'll see if we can condense things down to certain areas. And yeah, I think it'd be great. It'd yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. John, let me finish what I'm yeah. saying. If you're interested in having John and I come to your shop, no, I am interested. Jesus. That's what I'm saying. click and clack right here you ever listen to click and clack the car brothers that's us um click and clack one of them died i don't know if it's click or if it's clack one of them passed away but that was such a great show on npr if anybody ever listened to it like ren and stimpy did you ever listen to click and clack no i have oh my god ren and stimpy no click and clack it was a show on npr and they would Every Saturday or Sunday, it was an automotive show, and people were calling with questions like, "Hey, I got this cheap Wrangler, and it makes a sound." They're like, "What does it sound like?" Meow. Oh, and they would, you know, <laughs> but they were they were they were great. They were two brothers, they're mechanics, and it was a very entertaining show. I used to love it, but one of them passed away. But they were they were really uh, entertaining. But anyways, my point is, if you want click and clack, John and, and Brandon to come over. Uh, just drop us a message and we're going to start to compile a list and then we'll just lay that out on a map and then kind of figure out, Hey, this trip, we're going to hit this region, next trip, we'll hit that region, but let's, let's get you on the list. So we know you're interested and we can start kind of developing a, a route. No, that'd be good. And I got one more thing. Okay. One more thing. All right. So just a minute ago, a lot of people and we have others, people there, I think they're listed on the store or Brandon's yet to list them on the store. We've got these two cool t-shirts for made better to make better. And Brandon and I haven't quite put it together yet, but we're thinking about doing a contest where, and Martin uh, Duckett, I'm going to say kicked it off. Go look at his pictures, man. I, I've always enjoyed. So and it, put your T-shirt on, take a picture in some super cool place that you love. Um, and we're, you know, spread it out. He did it overlooking what looked to be a valley and a mountain with these uh, very picturesque kind of thing. So we're going to do a contest. Who does the coolest picture in the coolest place? Don't, don't hang off some crazy ass ledge. Don't put your life in danger. And I'm saying that really to myself because I was going to run to uh, Yosemite and get right up as close as I can to one of the raging water waterfalls. But I'm not going to do that because most likely some people take my photo while I'm falling in. Take my picture. (laughs) (laughs) Mine will be Um, me climbing into a bear enclosure at the zoo. Because it's Kodiak, so I'm like, take my picture! Me wrestling a bear, you know. Right. Famous last Uh, words. But I thought that would be a super cool, and and just fun, just a fun contest, if we call it a contest, and, you know, maybe we'll throw some cool prize. I don't know what it is yet, but we'll come up with something. A gift card to Starbucks or Target or Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have enough time. Maybe. I don't know. But we'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. I want to announce that. We're going to announce more of that. But uh, Martin Martin got me inspired by seeing his pictures. And that's a whole story to go with it. We could talk about another time. But I really like the idea. So, Well, 
I like that Do you like fun. the idea, John. Yeah, again, right? Right. Because like you said, I am interested. I thought you were asking me if you were interested, and I was. I know you're interested. I'm yeah. looking forward to it, man. I can't wait. I honestly, you and Joe, Joe have gone out and done some of these types of things with people yeah. that have went to try Kodiak, and they've been a great experience for you guys and for the people that were interested. I love traveling. I love seeing other people's shops. And I'm just excited to get out on the road and, and um, you know, spread awareness of Kodiak, help people get dialed in, help them make their, their products better, help them make their business better, help, help them be more profitable, and uh, just actually put a face to a name. Because a lot of these people, I know their names, but we've never met. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to those interactions. All right, well, let's do it again next week, huh? Any, any last words of wisdom? I say we're going to do one next week. It probably will be two weeks from now because I have an old employee coming up to help me finish up my shop here. So for the next two weeks, we're going to be working like 12, 15 hour days to get this place done. Cool. Um, but anyway, so Look forward to it. Yeah. So in a couple weeks, we'll probably skip next week, but the following week we'll do another podcast. So that's the plan, Stan. Well, right on. Well, just to say it was great spending time with everybody here this last week. It was fantastic. Um, some eye-opening experience that, which again, were fantastic, which shared them here today. And, I look forward to talking to you in a couple weeks, man. All right, buddy. I'm putting you on on my phone. You're going on mute for two weeks. I I look forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, amigo. Adios. All right. Adios. Adios.